dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Glory him forever. forever. Hello. The, the melodious voice of Father Joel Barstat back again. If yes. you guys read the title of this podcast, you probably know that we're doing number two of the marriage podcast, but it's it's really good to have you back, Father Joel, and it's good to... Uh, Good to. It, it's been too long since the previous one, but we got it in. Getting oh, okay. getting three well, people's schedules to back, together. So thank you. <laughs> of yeah, course, it's really good. This of is the course. first time that. Um, well, I don't know about Father Michael, but this is the first time I've seen your face since the life profession. So that's really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was such which a was a glorious event. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what was although your I must part? say it, it was. Um, uh, I, I think I told Father Michael this, but I don't. I haven't had a chance to tell you that I. Um, I found it. I found the ritual humiliation of you and Mother Petra really quite um, stunning. And um, both um, Father Martin Nagy and I had the same reaction. I mean, as as you were, just your coming in um, in the in the shift mm-hmm. in the with your hair down, the kind of invulner- the vulnerability implied in that, and then the. Um, the humiliation with the scissors and so on, and then um, and then the bishop having the audacity to say that this humiliation is coming to you not from me but from Christ, your mm-hmm. bridegroom. Um, that was that was um, I, I hadn't expected that, and it was extremely um, powerful. And I know both Father Martin and I were just in tears mm-hmm. um, at that at that. Um, at those points in uh, in the ritual, and then then the 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 way in which you were brought to death to this world, and then how you were reclothed, um, and the kind of um, maternity that that um, is meant to come from rising up in the kingdom and living solely out of the kingdom. Um, I, I found it a very moving. Um, uh, ritual, a very mm-hmm. r- movie, moving service, and then the event itself was was a was great, a really great party. So, <laughs> um, so it was a it, it was one of those events um, that I will always treasure to mm-hmm. have been a part of. So, mm-hmm. thank you. Me yeah. too. Thank you. Yeah, it was so. Man, I'm just gonna be. I'm gonna be riding that, riding that high for years. I feel like there was just so much goodness, so much love, so much uh, fellowship, and and um, and just so much of the grace of God. It was just really good. So, yeah. I honestly didn't expect a lot of the um, f- the joy surrounding it, um, only because. I I I know the devil and how he works, and I I I was afraid that that we were gonna get we were gonna get it done. You know, you were you were gonna get you were gonna get professed, like professed. <laughs> that was gonna happen, but there there was gonna be a lot of things surrounding there that that our Lord was um, asking you and us to endure um, for the sake of of the importance of the profession, but understanding that that's that's why we're there. But it was, I mean, every night. Four nights in a row, <laughs> four nights, five nights, I think, in a row yeah, of just of just like you know something like exciting, making sure you were getting enough sleep. Um, <laughs> but but there was like <laughs> there was like ex- exciting evenings with just friends for multiple nights. And honestly, that's how it was my ordination. When I I mean I had friends surprise mm-hmm. me a week early. They showed up in Albuquerque with nowhere to stay. They showed up a week early <laughs> and my, my mother, my long suffering mother just hosted for the whole week and knowing that I had friends staying for an entire week afterwards as well, different friends. So mm-hmm. the, it was, our house is kind of like a revolving door and people just slept on the floor and things like that. But my mom every single night would cook food for everybody and, and would just, you know, make it happen. But, but I have to say like with those days, mother, as I've told you before, you know, I think I, you're those moments around your life profession are actually more seared in my mind than I think my own ordination. There there was something, because I, I think the, the I, and I had an insecurity about my ordination where I, I, I think in a, in an inappropriate way felt unworthy. You know, there, there's a, there's a, a, there is a true unworthiness. And then there's kind of the, the prideful unworthiness that comes from 
not accepting the fullness of God's grace and God's vocation. Um, so I think that 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 tinged the my own ordination because I was trying to kind of figure out what it looked like. And then, of course, I had the experience I've shared before about just absolute desolation um, when Bishop laid his hands on my head, like I've like I've never felt before or since. But um, but with you, Mother, it was like I can just enjoy it. I can observe. Like there's just something about observing and having that, that front and center seat, of course, as your spiritual father able to walk you down the aisle. It was like that, that what it really was. And then everything surrounding it, seeing people responding um, to it in, in ways that were very different from each other. We of course did the podcast on, on kind of people, what, what they enjoyed, what they, what, what startled them, you know, in, in your case, Father Joel, um, Andrew Whaley said the same thing. He was, he was sharing how, how, they like he did not expect that level of he kind of had a, a certain defensiveness kind of <laughs> rise up inside of him, um, you know ab- about you know the, the the because like you said, Father Joel, the vulnerability and and this this. But one of the things I loved was that even in the midst of your vulnerability, you had like seventy priests <laughs> that all would have died or killed for you, like all lined up, you know, in the aisle. So it's like that there there's a vulnerability, but that that's personal. But mm-hmm. this is. God's bride here. And so that he's going to protect her, of course, but there's also all of his hands and voices and, and feet and, you know, in, in the world, all these, all these priests and all these other people there too, all literally lined up, <laughs> you know, that, that, that yeah. are, that are, ha- have their eyes only on the two of you um, to, to protect you and, and pray for you and guide you and all the, you know, receive from you the, the mothering that you were now able to offer all those things that was, was so beautiful and profound in, in that ritual. And even mm-hmm. in the things surrounding the ritual. Yeah, that's man. Thanks, guys. That's that's all really beautiful, and it's um, it's it's good to to be reminded of it. You know, at this point, we're recording, and it's been about a month and a half since the profession, and um, there's still just so much grace and so much that I'm processing. Um, but the last the last week or two, as you know, Father Michael, um, I've just really been under attack, and um, and today, uh, Father Ryan Mann came and had mass for us because I I had asked him with Mother's permission. You know, the, during the honeymoon, we had we had mass or divine liturgy every day um, of the honeymoon. But since it was shared with Mother Petra and then all of that, I actually only got to ask two priests to have mass or liturgy other than other than my spiritual father. And um, so I wasn't able to ask Father Ryan, and he would have been the next one on my list. And so, um, so with Mother's permission, he came out today, even though it's a month and a half later, and he had like a honeymoon mass. And then he and I had breakfast together and just shared graces from the profession. And I was like man, this is the providence of God that that we had this today, a month and a half later, because like today I needed to be, I needed that to be brought back to the present moment. Like I needed to to remember um, the, a little bit of anamnesis, you know, of, um, of the profession and, and the graces there and the reason that I'm a monastic and all of those things. But I experienced, I experienced what you're saying too, Father Michael, of I was also surprised at um, how easy things were spiritually. Like I expected it to be kind of like you're saying of, yeah, there's joy and there's beauty, but we're having to like fight through all of these attacks. But it just like, there was no attack. And I think, cause you, I mean, you know me, it's usually, um, as many times as I yell at you, you don't know me. Um, you do know me. And so <laughs> it's, it's usually like the day before something like this, like right before my tonsure, right before I entered the monastery or right before I became a missionary, I have a complete meltdown. And I'm like, Father Michael, I don't know if this is the will of God. I actually don't know if I've ever heard God's voice in my life. I actually don't know if I believe in God. Like that literally happened before my tonsure. Um, <laughs> and, um, where I was just like, I, I might be an atheist. I don't know. Um, and, <laughs> And there was just none of that. Like we went for a walk the morning of the profession and it was just like beautiful and calm. And it's like, all right, let's, let's do this. I'm ready. Um, and so that was, which, which part of me just wonders if it's like, there's been so much the last year and a half <laughs> that, that Jesus was like, this is, this is our marital union. And like, I'm going to give you a rest from that. Uh, you know, for, for a time, I'm going to give you a rest from that attack so that you can be assured of my protection and assured of my, um, my love and my defensiveness as your groom. And, um, and so that was all just, was just really amazing. This is very appropriate for today's topic, (laughs) Mm -hmm. this conversation. So. I actually want to, I want to jump ahead to, and then I'll go back within the marriage ritual. 
I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I listened to the end of it, um, but we, we got so deep about um, the psalm. Um, I got to go back now to see it. Psalm 127. We got so deep into Psalm 127. I think that's all we got to. Which Are you is sure it wasn't Psalm 172? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm have, never going to let you live that down so, ever. <laughs> so I have a, I have a, a physician friend um, who who texted me yesterday morning when, when the, the podcast, when we were talking about, um, we are talking about, I don't know, vocations or school or, or um, young adults or something. And Maddie Hebert came up and we, we were talking about like, what did she get her associates or her bachelor's in? Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know. It's like, kinesthetics or something I have no idea what that is and, and I was like every time I embarrass myself like that I'm like we should we should probably actually edit that out um, so th- so then I I got a text yesterday morning from my my friend uh, shout out to to Marielle Avaris who says uh, she's a, a physician and she said and she explained the whole thing like this is what kinesis or kinesthetics is and I explained the whole aspect of like it's an associate's degree and then I was like thank you like I didn't look it up and I, I'm so tempted to edit these things out and then she's like no no humility's good I'm like yeah you're right <laughs> humility's good oh. anyway Maddie texted me yesterday morning as well um, but I want to jump ahead real quick please um, because of the this again, and you, mother, and the mother, the sisters, and the mothers at, at Christ Bridegroom are very eloquent about this. But you see, you're able to recognize. And I think this is a, this is an of immense good for a monastery or any community. You're able to recognize and be thankful when our Lord gives you like overwhelming grace. Mm. You you know it's undeserved. You you know it's very personal sometimes what our Lord knows that you want. Um, and this is this is going to your buddy uh, Mikhail Walstein. No, oh. no, sorry, I'm talking about to Father Joel. Mm-hmm. Your your buddy Mikhail Walstein. He was giving a talk, and he was giving a talk on the glory of God, the mercy of God. It was actually the glory of God in the Gospel of John. I think was the title, but it's about the Trinity as well. And he was explaining the gospel that we hear at weddings. And so the, with the wedding at Cana and, and he has this beautiful thing where he's, he's a, a scripture scholar. So he, he, he aligned the two times when the mother of God is, is, is told about in the gospel of John. And that is the wedding at Cana and then, then Golgotha, then the cross. And he had this beautiful kind of mirroring of these two things, including the hour of the Lord and other things like this. I'm begging somebody to, to get those slides for me. Cause I, I, I didn't have notes. I didn't have a piece of paper to write anything down, but he was saying, that six stone water jars, and I'm sure you've heard this, Father Joel, but six stone water jars filled to the brim. How many bottles of wine is that? Like Jesus said, take them and fill them to the brim. I did the math one time. Um, I thought it's like 180 gallons, right? Or is it two? He just said the number of bottles. 900 is, I think, what I came up with. Okay, he came up with- maybe it was 150, but- he came up with almost double that, 1,500 bottles of wine, he said. If you take oh, six wow. stone water jars and fill them to the brim, however, maybe, maybe different bottle size or whatever, but he said fill them to the brim. And, and then he said, I was, like, I was like, wow, that's a lot of bottles. And he goes, and remember, they were already drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, and, you know, it just obviously Jesus wasn't expecting them to drink all of it. It was just, it was a sign like the multiplication of loaves and the fishes of, of God's overwhelming generosity. Like, this is it, not it, to be clear, Jesus condoning drunkenness. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that's very clear, but, but just the overwhelming generosity of they're out. It's almost like the widow's might, right? She gave from her lack. She gave mm-hmm. from her poverty. They're, they're, they're out of, they're out of wine. And, and, it's almost like Jesus is either going to do nothing because his time, hour has not yet come, or he's going to give them so much that they couldn't even drink it in, in weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, and there, there was just something about that, that I would just thought the overwhelming generosity of God. So mm-hmm. w- that was the case mother, where I think you would have been fine. I think I've shared the story before too, but my, my first godchild, my little, my little niece, Anne, when I, when I was asked to be her godfather before she was born and she was going to be my first godchild. And I remember thinking at that time, I was kind of asking like, Lord, I don't know what my cross is. I, I don't, I don't really have any crosses and I want to thank you for that. But, but I'm, I'm just a little bit gun shy. I'm like waiting, waiting to receive my cross. And then when they asked me to be, I was like, I don't have kids. Like well, that, that is the cross for parents. Like, and I don't have kids. Like what, what is my cross going to be? So when they said, will you be a, 
will you be the Godfather? I thought, oh, maybe, maybe my God child will be my cross. So I had all these weird thoughts about, well, maybe she's going to have a mental or a physical illness. I didn't even know if it was a boy or a girl. So I got the text in the morning that she was born. And my brother, Sean, just says, you know, Annie O'Loughlin, you know, weighing, you know, size. And then he put, and she's perfect. Now, coming from Sean, that probably meant there was like something physically or mentally wrong with their like like i know that that family they they now have their ninth kid on the way like i know that family could handle anything like and i know that they'd be willing to handle anything so why why wouldn't god give a child that had struggles to a family that could handle it mm-hmm. um so when i went to the hospital room i walked in and Shauna hands me the baby and I'm looking at her in the face, like looking for any sign of, of, <laughs> of something wrong. And I go, and I go, she is perfect. And Sean said, yeah. And I said, I was like, I don't know. I expected something wrong, like at, at least Down syndrome or something. And he goes, and he goes, yeah, me too. And Rebecca goes, what? <laughs> and both of us were like, well, we're going to tell you. Like we had, the, we had these suspicions, but I, I said that. I was like, I knew you could handle this. So like, I know mother, you could have handled something crazy. I know you could have, like you, you could have handled a rough, rough, rough situation around your profession and, and you could have, and we all know that I think. And, but, but there was the fact that God, even knowing that still gave you kind of the perfect weekend in, as in a human way and in a, in a divine way was really beautiful. So I, I think that's, there, there's a lot to say for that, for a wedding. And, and just, so I don't need to repeat it. I'll go like, I, I think the biggest thing about this, and by the way, I did my, my master's thesis on, on, marriage, the, the mystery, the, the ritual, and then the reading. So maybe I'll do a, a second podcast about that at some point, but, but there's something about the, you know, saved, the, save the good wine for last, mm. um, that I think is very fitting. Um, Father Joel, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, where, where, when you get married, you really don't know what marriage is. You don't know what love is. You don't know what self gift is. You don't really, you, you have a foretaste of those things. So when you receive the crown of martyrdom at, at your wedding, at the mystery of crowning, that that has to be lived out and and the real deep understanding of the mystery doesn't happen until until years and years and years later when 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 the cross has actually been lived out and that's in the sense the good wine was saved for last the the everybody th- thinks our honeymoon's going to be the best week of their life married life um and in some ways it may be but but the 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 reality of what love is the Christ like love is until is until later yeah, no, it's probably better to view it as a as a moment of prophecy, you know, mm-hmm. when that that um the end is in the beginning. And um if you think that that a perfect wedding day is a sign of what one's temporal <laughs> life together is going to be like, um you're just setting yourself up for mm-hmm. for disappointment. But if if you see it as a symbol and a gift of um, of the meaning that makes it worth going through the next forty or fifty or sixty years together, um, as an int- anticipation, a sign of the beauty that awaits those who are faithful to this vocation, then it can be a really great gift. So, um, and I don't know what to say. You know, if somebody has a lousy um, a lousy day, you know, <laughs> a difficult wedding day. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't know, maybe a certain kind of tempering is, is needed regarding one's mm. expectations. Mm. Um, I think our culture, especially with people living together, so be that becoming so common, a pattern before getting married, I think the need to make the wedding itself mm. special and exuberant um, has um, has kind of lost proportion. And I mean, I'm, when I was a kid, most of the weddings I ever went to, uh, the reception consisted of people. Well, first of all, there was this, the long receiving line where you had to congratulate the couple, and then as a reward for all your waiting, you you might have gotten some. Um, some nuts and mints and eventually a piece of cake and probably coffee, always coffee, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> um, but there wasn't, um, um, there wasn't a big party that I think has become so typical in the last, um, the last several decades. Interesting. Um, so th- it's the, um, 
it's the work um, and whatever makes for a, a fitting beginning to to the work and the and my hope is for couples getting married that they um that they're excited about doing the work together of mm-hmm. building a life mm-hmm. and um and all that that will that all that will bring I love how you called it a prophecy I'm going to use that because <laughs> it really I mean I, that's that's exactly what it is with the crowning but but that's that that even just to use that word you know to foresight but also being the mouthpiece of God but but speaking to the reality of what it's going to be and then and then making sure that mm-hmm. there's that's what that's what Father Joe Stanachar says all the time if I say hey father I'm going to send a I'm going to send a young man up to your monastery to to Coveney Dome in Oregon and he goes is he willing to work? He says that every single time. <laughs> it's, I'm like, I, I, I think so, Father. You know, this, it's not, it's not going to be. Oh, you know, is he willing to to pray for hours and really discern and kind of just see if this is from? He's like, is he willing to work? I'm like, all right, I'll only send up guys willing to work, Father. Absolutely. I think that's also really helpful to think of because you know we we talk about how divorce is so prevalent in our society and how um, how one of the times that divorce is is most common is once the kids leave the house, because by that point um, the parents have often only been focusing like the, the they're not doing anything to work together anymore um, on their relationship or, or on a particular goal. It's just like, they've been so focused on just raising the kids that once the kids are out of the house, they no longer have anything in common because they haven't spent, you know, the last 18, 25 years, um, like working together on anything other than this, 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 um, their kids who have now left the house. And so I, I like that, that concept of, um, of allowing this to be a work together. And it also speaks very well to Ephesians five of, um, like the, the wives be submissive. If, if you're interpreting that in the, the word submissive, meaning under the mission, <laughs> like if you guys are, if you're, if you're working together on this particular mission, on this particular goal, then, then that's something that doesn't change for your entire life, you know, um, on this, this goal of, of union with Christ. Father Joel, I would love I would love to hear any wisdom you have about that passage about the epistle, mm. was Ephesians five. I, I don't mean just throw this at you, but um, you're, you're a married man and you're a priest, and so you may have preached on this thing of all times. But um, the the passage, you know, husbands love your wives, wives be submissive to your husbands. It's just such a such a, a contentious um, reading for for secularists, but such a beautiful reading. Uh, for those of us who who see the cross as the power of God, um, do you have any insights into that 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 we could share? I mean, like I said, I might do a whole podcast on those two readings, but um, but I would love to hear from you. Well, I don't I don't know that I have any any um, any consoling words for people who want to explain <laughs> away the notion of a kind of toxic order. Um, hierarchical order within marriage. Um, I think, though, this was something that I gleaned from reading John Chrysostom's um, homilies on on that passage. And um, I don't know whether he says a, or whether it was just, you know, the configuration. You hear something or you read something and you're thinking about multiple things and certain things suddenly click. And so you end up blaming the author for that um, <laughs> for that idea that comes together. But um, I, what I what really came to the fore for me when he was talking about this pattern of headship um, is that he's describing um, he being Saint Paul. He's describing a relationship which um, then becomes the model for the use of all authority within the Christian world, hmm. um, within the ch- in, ought to be the model of authority within the church, where there is a definite source, there is a definite headship. The husband um, does provide that unifying um, headship. And to that, the, the, the wife um, is called by St. Paul to give a certain kind of submission to recognize that authority. But then he immediately turns around and spends 
the bulk of his effort showing the purpose for which the authority is given. Hmm. Um, that, um, that the authority is given for the sanctification of the, of the bride, of the home, of what springs from this. Whatever the sphere of authority is, the, the one who has the, the authority has it only for the sake of the other, um, so that it becomes a kind of service to those over whom um, he has authority. Now, it's very easy to, to reduce that to a kind of trite, cliche, um, and kind of smokescreen for abuses of power. Oh, I'm a servant leader. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you want to say, no, you're not. You're just, I mean, you're, um, you're, it's, you're, you're running a scam here, you know, um, you're living pretty well on, uh, but I think that, that the difficulty is that, that the hierarchy only works if it's animated on both ends by love. Otherwise, it does introduce us to all the worldly dynamics of power and use and abuse. Um, so I think that authority, whenever it, and, and authority is necessary, it's just indispensable to life in, in, um, in the created world, I think, but especially life in a fallen word, world. Um, we can't do without it in the church. We can't do without it in the homes. We can't do without it in society. But understanding that those who have authority and those who submit to authority are doing it for the sake of love. We talked last time, I think, about the walking down the aisle together, that notion of vocation mm -hmm. and having a common vocation. Um, the authority that St. Paul is articulating there in Ephesians is is a subordinate structure within the vocation, right? You're called together to serve God, but within your common service, your joint service to him, there is this order of, of, of things. When I would, this is to kind of shift to another aspect of this. Um, at one point, I don't know, I was thinking about obedience and com in comparison with um, my own life compared with say, diocesan priests in the Roman Rite when they make their, their promise of obedience. Um, and that was a, I think that was especially on my mind at that time, or religious um, professions of obedience. Um, and, um, and I thought, okay, to whom am I obedient? And so I thought about that for a long time. And then I realized, I kind of watched how how I was living and my successes and failures at home. And I realized that my obedience is to the need of and needs of my wife and my children. Mm -hmm. um, and that it's in some ways it's, it's a harder um, obedience because it doesn't have the objectivity. It requires of me the attentiveness to the need to be aware of it, to look at it, but it's no more onerous. I mean, it's no less onerous to once you mm -hmm. see the the need to then submit your own will to mm -hmm. serving that need. Um, it may not be in the in the mode of a child or the wife or you know, um, but it's still my responsibility to see that that need is met by whatever means. And um, that, that's a serious obedience. So I think that, um, that if we understand that passage from Ephesians, we will, and embrace it <clears throat> at the beginning of our marriages, but embrace it with understanding of what we're being called to and what the purpose of that ordo is, that toxis, that hierarchy, um, then I think we, we understand so much about the, um, the flow, the perichoresis of responsibility in, um, in a family, but in, in many aspects of the church and, and of society. I, I love what you say there, <clears throat> Father Joel, about um, 
like your your task, um, your obedience is to be attentive to the needs of your wife and children because if they can rest in the surety that you are willing their good, that you are really acting out of love for them, um, then they can they can be submissive. Your wife can can submit um, to what you're asking of her. Um, or, or to how, how you're living that out because she knows that, um, that you're, you're choosing these things for her own good. And she can, she can like rest in the safety of that. And, uh, um, which is why that, that part about, um, like love your wife as Christ loves the church. Like that comes, you know, like that has to be there in order for the be submissive to your husband. (laughs) Right. It's, um, In some ways, I don't. Know, I don't know whether I want to go in, in this direction. I think, I think both have to be there, because mm-hmm. one, in a certain way, elicits the other. Mm-hmm. Because if a wife does not expect her husband to exercise that kind of care for her and for the family, he won't, mm-hmm. and she'll end up having to do all the work. She'll end up having to be obedient to the need. She'll have to fill in where he's not filling in. But a mother is already bound. Um, Her womb is this this intense connective tissue to her children that never never goes away. Um, And she's involved in situations in a way that... um, the thing about a father is he can be a kind of a floater. He can he can be above the situation and see where there's a need, and he can mm. focus his attention. He can mm. come to the rescue in spots where things are falling apart or compensate. Um, so, but if if she's not asking that of him, if she's not expecting of that of him, if she's making the decisions and he's never required to make one, then he won't do that because. Um, frankly, to love another as oneself um, hurts like crazy. Um, it's a crucifixion. That's why we have martyr crowns, right, at, 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 at our, our crowning. Um, but to love one more than one loves oneself, I mean, that's, that's, even, that's even greater. I, I wish I could um, claim to have done more than occasionally flirt with that depth of love um so i think that you have to have the whole ordo you have to have the whole package the wife has to be ready to submit she can't wait until Mm -hmm. her husband shows christ-like love she has to be begging for that by her submission um from the very beginning Mm -hmm. because it provides a necessary condition for his growth into giving it um Mm -hmm. and his challenge to do it I sometimes think this about um, priestly and Episcopal authority. It's only when we, as those who need it, invoke it. Um, that's, mm. you know, we, you, you were talking, I can't remember whether it was before we were on the air or not, but the, um, that you're trying to encourage people to adopt that Eastern mm. custom of asking a priest for a blessing, Father, give yeah. a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, um, there's a beautiful symbol in that. One, I suppose, could see it as a kind of ritual of clericalism that sets the priest off as a social, um, a a higher social. And it can be very gratifying to one's ego and all that. But I think what is really going on there is um, that the priesthood is being invoked by that person. It's like the woman with the hemorrhage coming and touching the hem of Christ's garment. That's what that's what a faithful is doing who reaches out to a priest in faith, even if he's a scumbag. But if he's a priest and and you ask for his blessing, um, then you're you're drawing on a power which he may not even consciously be aware he has. So I think that's another aspect of 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 um, of a Christian woman's. Um, submission to her husband is it becomes like that it it calls him it it evokes it it invokes actually Christ himself 
to become active and to bless her in in that circumstance and in that need and in that relationship. So, um, mm. yeah. Thank you, Father. I'm going to steal that too. I appreciate that. Um, but just one quick story. Um, one of the reasons why the catalyst for this desire to reinvigorate, reintroduce that tradition back into our parish. And by the way, uh, I think that was before we hit record. So um, just for our listeners, uh, in my parish, we're trying to uh, bring back the tradition of when you, when you first see a priest, when you first encounter a priest, or when you're about to leave, you just walk up and, and ask for a blessing. Just as a simple, so a lot of people will say, just Father bless. You put your right hand over your left and the priest will bless your hands. Um, it's just as simple and then he'll give a simple blessing. But um, we, we have a, a 20, I think she's 23, 24, uh, year old catechumen. So, so a year ago she was atheist and she, she's been coming to the church. And so as, as any good catechumen does, they usually kind of do some of their own research as well. And she discovered this online and, you know, be, people would just even like, I'll, I'll get an email from an Orthodox person. It starts out, glory to Jesus Christ, father bless, you know, and then, and then it'll continue. Mm-hmm. And I love that tradition, but she, the first time she, she did it a couple of times and then and she has a, a this br- br- brilliant dry sense of humor. So just two Sundays ago, she walks up and she goes, puts her hand and goes, do your job. <laughs> it was like, 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 like she's invoking the blessing from me. Like, this is like, you have to do this. This is your job. Like it wasn't father blessed. It's do your job. And it was like, it's like, it was like, give me something objective from Jesus. Cause that's what a priest does. And that's what a priest is. That's why it, it reminds, reminds me of, me. A, go ahead, mother. No, no, no. Father Joel, please. It reminds me of a story that um, a priest friend of mine told me once of a, a trip he took to the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union. And um, he was kind of, um, I don't know, we would maybe call him a jerk. But um, <laughs> in those days, I suspect just from his, he was, he was um, maybe that's the wrong, he was um, Father jerk. not afraid to be noticed um, oh, okay. and kind of um, exalted in, in, in being uh, noticed and being, he wasn't afraid to cause a scene. So... Um, so one of the things he did is, you know, when he would go on his tours of churches and stuff, he would be in his clerics. And, um, mm-hmm. and the tour guides weren't very happy. But one time they were touring this church, which was a museum, um, and there was this group of school kids. And one of the kids broke away from the group and came over and asked him for a blessing. So he gave the blessing and the teacher was angry and she came over and she grabbed his ear and she was pulling back, pulling him back to the group. And he says, what, what? He's a priest. They bless. That's what priests do. They bless. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he didn't know he, this was not a catechized, well catechized Soviet child. This, but he knew wow. something about the wow. priesthood and that's what, that's what priests do. They bless. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, it, it reminded me also of Father Michael, you did a, a video for us last year um, for our bridegroom's banquet since it was virtual, like one of the lead ups. And um, I don't know if you remember anything that you said on that video, but I do, uh, because you you talked about how one of the joys for you at being at the monastery, because last year our, our the theme of the banquet was spiritual fatherhood. And so you said one of the joys um, uh, for you about being at the monastery is it really, it evokes your fatherhood because the the spiritual battle is so real and so intense at the monastery that when you're here, you really feel um, your priesthood and your fatherhood is needed. Like you have to, you have to defend us. You, you um, like, we're constantly asking you to hear confessions or, um, or to celebrate the liturgy for us or, um, or to give spiritual direction or, or all of these things. And that um, it's like, it really um, invokes Christ, like, like Father Joel is saying, and, and it really, um, calls this fatherhood out of you um, in in the same way that I think um, in the same way that that having children often calls out the fatherhood and motherhood um, of the parents and um, so I think it's a, a really really good analogy Father Joel to say that this this um, submissiveness calls out the true loving obedience um, and 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 the the good and fruitful hierarchy um, um, or order um, if it's used as such. So I like that a lot. It's also important, I was thinking when you were talking, Father Joel, 
that all of this, of course, in St. Paul is tied to the, to the church. So the, mis- the great mystery between Christ and the church, this, this, this nuptial relationship. And I, I was thinking, you know, in a human way, you know, and I'll explain that in a moment when we get there, but in a human way, there's, there's a, we need to learn what that looks like. So the, for the husband to, to lead and to have this authority that you spoke of, Father Joel, he needs to, to know what that looks like. Hopefully he got that from his own time growing up, et cetera. But, but I think he can, well, let's go, let's do the opposite first. The, the wife who's, who's submissive, I think she can learn over the course of a whole life what it means to be in that that um, that position by watching her husband be submissive to the people he's submissive to. Mm. So primarily the church. And so there, there's if she sees him living a life of submission to Christ and to the church in a, in a, in a very very dynamic, dramatic, and joyful way, I think she'll be more willing to say. Like, look how joyful he is. I will be as joyful in mine. And then also the husband watching the way that his wife is submissive will also learn how to be submissive and, and will be, be mm. encouraged to be submissive to the authorities in his life as well. And the same thing with, with how, how does, when the, when the wife is, has authority over the things she has authority of and how is she doing that? How is she doing that eloquently? That can be inspirational to the husband. And so there's this, if, if the machine is, is working well, the order is working well, there's, there's a lot of inspirations um, to lead, inspirations to follow, and and there's a that certain order of when am I leading, when am I following, and I, I've had in, inspirations enough to say that both of those in the proper place are very joyful experiences because I've seen both of those roles lived out joyfully, and I've seen that done repeatedly. This is yeah. like this is like the centurion saying to Jesus, like mm-hmm. I. I know what authority is. Like yep. I, I have those, um, un, like who are in authority under me, and I'm in authority to those um, above me. And so it's, yeah, yeah. That passage that we read from the from Ephesians um, has as its immediate context Paul's statement to the church generally um, to submit to one another. Now that's often used to say that the submission that a wife is required, is being asked for, is no different from the submission that every Christian owes to every other Christian. Mm. I think that's to misunderstand it. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I think is important and really needs to be emphasized in that previous verse is the fact is that Paul repeatedly in his epistles calls us to submit our needs and our wills, to, to set those aside in order to serve the needs of others. And that's, the, that's what it means to um, submit, I think, in, in his language, in his, his understanding. I submit myself to you as my brother in Christ by, taking, by trying to meet your need before I get my own met. Mm. Um, Rather than having my own, imposing my own will on you in whatever form that may be, um, um, I seek first to make sure that um, that your need is is met, and I put it before for mine. Now, if you have, um, if I as a husband have an experience in my parish of men, especially doing that for one another and women seeing women of the parish doing that with one another um then when his wife submits to him he's going to say oh that she's just being a christian <laughs> mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. now there'll be some particulars given the nature of of what a family is and the particular works and challenges and requirements of life together in that way um so there'll be a specificity to the kind of submission that um, that a wife gives to her husband. And there'll be a specificity to the kind of need and serving of a need that the husband is doing. But he'll have learned that this isn't, it's not because he's um, somehow great, that he somehow has a personal power, um, that he somehow deserves her obedience, because he will be part of a community that is serving um, 
serving each other, serving one another. Sadly, I'm not sure that that is what happens um, in many of our parishes. I think there are still too many power struggles among us in in parish mm. life, um, and um, it is it is always kind of refreshing. There's always a few people, right? A few meek ones, but um, they're actually the ones whose needs might need to be served a little more than mm. than them all constantly serving everyone else's. There's a uh, I, I some good news out of our eparchy, and, and Father Joel Barstadt and I both belong to the same eparchy in Phoenix. But um, I've, I've been feeling very strongly just because of the the unusual. Uh, situation we've been in with with our bishop and and said it plan on apostolic administrators and such that um, whenever that happens I've seen it in Paris life too when, whenever there seems to be a, a power vacuum um, many people are going to step into that and 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 that's always a an awkward thing to try to lead if you have not been directly appointed to lead and when when Bishop John retired it even more so because all the Technically, all the Sincelli and Protestants and everybody lost their positions, you know, because they'll, they'll be reappointed or, or, or other people will be appointed when we get new bishops. So now even more so, there's, there's, uh, it's some, it's hard to hold on to like what the authority is. We have our apostolic administrator, but for a while, I think it was quite awkward. But even these past few weeks, I have seen kind of ever since our retreat, Father Joel in Phoenix, I've seen and I'll tell you about this more later privately, but I've seen a lot of, I think, the realization from some priests and clergy in the church that that uh, this is going to be a shared responsibility and that really we do need to draw that draw that authority out of each other and encourage each other. And so I've seen more of a, I got a, I got a text message last night, I'll share with you later on, but it was kind of, I asked a question of, of somebody and they said, um, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, Okay, like I, I, I love that. Like I, I was, I want, I want an authority. I want someone to say, "Here's what we're gonna do." But uh, what do you think? First is great. Like especially since we're doing this very, very awkwardly. So, um, I, I think that's the same case in parishes. You know, we, we see it on the Barkio level, Father Joel, you and I, and you would to agree as well, Mother. But when you, when you see an organization running well, that can inspirational, be inspirational to families. When you see a family running well, that can be inspirational to, to organizations. It's it's all the same. Like you said, Father Joel, I love that. You know, when he sees his wife submitting a, according to the Ephesians 5, he's just saying she's just being a Christian. This this isn't something, you know, in, in, in one sense, of course, like you said, it's different, but in one sense, this is what we all are called to do and should all be doing even in an obvious way on, on a daily, weekly basis. So... Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna call it if we uh, if 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 we if we rush through the rest of this ceremony, um, Pete listeners would have my head for not giving us enough giving them enough Father Joel Barstat time. So Father Joel, if you are willing to, we'll set up another date to do a third episode <laughs> on on the the mystery of crowning, so we can get into the depth of the ritual itself. We've pretty much only talked about the readings this time, um, but would you be well, open to that? Well, this one's Father not Joel? really the mystery of crowning. This one's like. Ephesians five, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but it is it is the um, the what what is the th- what is the thing that the ritual is trying to manifest mm. and make mm. visible? Mm-hmm. It is this. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it is the the union of a man and a woman, and the fact that that's being interpreted and articulated invariably there is no choice of readings it's got to be the ephesian yep. 5 mm-hmm. because this is what's articulating the meaning of the crowns and how the how that mutual love um works itself out in the in the needs of of daily life um and the sufferings that that um daily life inevitably um brings so um so I don't. I think we have been actually talking very much about mm-hmm. the thing that the mystery of crowning makes manifest. Mm. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be frank, <laughs> um, humility moment. 
when I brought up Ephesians 5, I don't even remember why I brought it up at this point, but when I brought up Ephesians 5, I had totally spaced that that's the reading for wedding. Oh. <laughs> like I was just bringing that up independently. Oh. <laughs> and um, so I'm like, oh, oh yeah, we just went over the readings for the, for the ritual. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've never heard them in the context of your own wedding and you're not a priest, so you have not had to write homilies on it. So you're excused. If I had forgotten that, that's that'd fair. be a bigger deal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay, and anything anything else on the, those two readings that we'll 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 do our prayer intentions close out um and we'll pick this pick up the rest of it later on. Um but any any final thoughts on on either of those readings either uh John 2 the wedding at Cana or Ephesians 5 um the the proclamation of the mystery by Paul. I would just make a plea um to couples who, especially Byzantine couples who, for whom the crowning service is the form, the is the form of marriage that's um, that's appropriate to your the beginning of your your married life. Yeah, sorry, that's why oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute my mic while the phone rings. Um, I would just don't be afraid of. The ritual. Don't be afraid of those readings. Um, try to um, try to see everything that's going on, the whole picture, the the mutual crowning, the being led together around the tetrapod, all of the the, the text, the the music, all of that together provides the context for interpreting um, a passage of scripture, which can be very difficult for modern um, people mm-hmm. to accept. But um, I just don't, don't dismiss it too quickly. Don't go get a Roman Catholic wedding <laughs> um, uh, just because you don't like to have to use that mm-hmm. particular reading. Don't ask the priest to, to shorten it in some way, but um, just hear it. Um, hear it with new ears in, in the context of the whole service of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that reminded me, Father Joel, of this moment from the life profession, because everything that you've been saying about Ephesians 5, um, is, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful to hear because it it makes the distinction of to submit, um, does not mean to be a slave. And, and in fact, to be the one to whom the submission is occurring. That was a very weird grammatical sentence. Um, but um, to be the one in authority, I should say, um, does not mean that you're not serving. And um, because when we say that uh, to, to love as Christ loves the church, um, when Jesus gives his commandment to, to love one another as I have loved you, this was right after he washed the feet of the disciples, right? Um, and, and, and served them. And he said that I, I came not to be served, but to serve. And um, so there's this, um, hi, Father Nathan. Uh, there's this, um, <laughs> there's this beautiful, like, you can, you can submit and you can still be served, at the same time. And it reminds me of this, this moment in the profession. One of my favorite moments in the life profession is when the bishop in, in reflecting the imagery of the, the prodigal son, the bishop kneels down at my feet and puts the sandals on my feet, the new sandals. And it's, it's this moment for me of like, you're talking about my humiliation um, in, in the good sense, right. Of my being humbled maybe. <laughs> um, and like, this is a moment of extreme humility for, uh, for, for the bishop of like, this is, I'm, I'm promising to, to be obedient to Christ by submitting to my bishop even, and he's kneeling down and putting these shoes on my feet. Um, and it's just like this, this beautiful moment. And, and um, his act of service reinforces in me a desire to submit to him and to trust him. Yeah. Can I add just one more kind of reflection in response Please, to Father. that. Please, yeah. Um, I'm reminded that one of one of the reflections that people often make about the word authority is that its etymological meaning can be um, can be seen as meaning that which gives growth. 
Um, mm. And I can remember at a certain point, one of the most illuminating things I ever learned from Father Luigi Giussani was to make a distinction between authority and power. Mm. Um, mm. And authority is something that is recognized um, because it gives growth. And in a, I don't know, in, in an Eastern monastery, when it's healthy and things are working the way they're supposed to be, according to the tradition, the spiritual father, the starets, is not appointed. It's not an ordained position. Um, mm-hmm. the, par- the proverb is that a father is revealed by his children. Mm-hmm. Um, that for those who are made to grow, who experience growth um, in when they receive the word of the one in authority, they actually give the authority to, to, mm-hmm. to that one because it's their recognition that, oh, by doing this, by following this one, I, I'm growing and I'm, this, is, this is for my good. And so the aim, I think, of Christian authority is to then be elevated above the dynamic of power which is what, um, which is the only thing this world really understands, um, and mm-hmm. sadly, we we too often are not worthy of moving to that um, to that level. But I think that's where where um, that's why I like the notion of perichoresis, which is the relationship between the father who is the source, but pouring himself out into the son. Um, through the Holy Spirit and back, the Son pouring Himself um, back to the Father and the Spirit, and and so on. I think um, those uh, that's that's how authority and submission th- that's how it's supposed to work is a is a a giving and receiving of life. Beautiful. Thank you. And I, I think this is this is one of those things, you know. I interpret what you said, Father Joel, is, is, you know, don't be afraid of and don't avoid these readings, you know, lean into them. Um, but it, it's it's really, really important to hear why. And so thank you for, for I, I feel that that was probably the greatest gift of this podcast, this episode, was that you was that you, you, you were able to explain to those who will be preaching and those who will be living it, um, the reasons why, and then the Spirit will continue to, to guide in that. But um, you know what servant leadership looks like. What what having leadership authority drawn out of us um, in a way you know demanded of us. Um, that's like just so we we have a book um, to include in the in the list. But you know Graham Greene's Power and the Glory. That's how how I see you know hmm. the whiskey priest in that book. He he has his priesthood constantly drawn out of him. Um, hmm. You know it's it's, it's like he, he's a very reluctant reluctant priest at this point in his life and he he, he has a, a great you know self-criticism um, some totally deserved and some not and but it's but the the people he encounters on his journeys through Mexico just and and they they they, they draw his priest they demand it of him um, in a way that that he um, does not like but it of course becomes fruitful so mm. Amen. Speaking All of the right. why, this is just one last very quick please, thought. Um, the the wedding at Cana, um, something I've never thought of until this moment of um, one of the reasons I think it, it's a very appropriate reading for a marriage, um, the mystery of, the, of crowning is, is not only because it's about a marriage, right? But because it's about um, this time in marriage, even so early on in marriage that... Um, the, the bride and groom are going to be in a human sense, um, like in a lot of anxiety and, and, and maybe even to the point of despair of like, we're going to be humiliated, like just a lot of fear. Um, I think that's the the main thing is that there, there would have been so much fear there, um, fear of shame, fear of whatever, um, and fear of humiliation. And, and the fact that, that Jesus acts in this, I think can be an encouragement to married couples of, um, trust in the Lord in your marriage for, for the things that might seem seeming like the, the seemingly insignificant things of like, Oh, we might run out of wine, which at the time was actually a really big deal. Um, but, but 
even if, if um, you know, if those who can be trusted with the little things can be trusted with the big things sort of, sort of idea. Um, and so uh, just trusting, and, and we'll talk about the dance of Isaiah at some point if we haven't already done that. Um, but um, yeah, trusting that, that the Lord is going to provide in your marriage if you actually lean into him and, and trust him to give and, and not just to give uh, the minimum of what we want, but to give, like you're saying, Father Michael, in an, an overwhelming way, which I, I think in the West, they, they call this the principle of superabundance or something like that. Um, I might've just made that up. I probably just made it up. Cowboy will tell me later, but uh, yeah. So like the, that the Lord wants to provide in your marriage with superabundance. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll pick this back up uh, next time we can get something on the schedule. Um, but uh, I'll, go, I'll go ahead and kick it off. But if you guys will think of a prayer intention for our listeners uh, to pray for this week, and uh, I will we'll also pray, of course, for each other's intentions. Um, I asked permission before this when we were off the air. Uh, my intention is going to be uh, Allie Adams, Pawnee Allie Adams, so Father Nathan's wife. Um, it, it's it's hard to be sick, but it's even harder to be sick when you don't know what's wrong. And and there, there's something, there's something that that Ali is experiencing that that doctors are trying to figure out. Um, so just if you'll pray for for her doctors, for her nurses, for for those for her, for her family, um, as they as they try to to diagnose and figure out exactly what's wrong and and how that's how that's a how to heal. And so she's, she's, as far as I can tell, her spirits are, are, are quite high, um, even in, in the, in this great unknown. Um, but if you pray for Allie, that would be helpful. Um, I will ask for prayers for my mom, Barbara. Uh, so good. Such a good heart. Um, she is just, she's had a lot of physical suffering. Um, in her life. But, um, most recently it's like she had surgery on one knee and then, um, her other knee started hurting and she thought it was a pinched nerve. And it turns out, um, that she has, uh, shingles and which apparently starts with pain, um, and a pretty excruciating pain. So she was supposed to be here today for, um, to come in for our bridegroom's banquet, which is in a couple days. But, um, my dad is having to come without her because she had to stay home because she has shingles. So, by the time this comes out, she will hopefully be well past recovered, but um, pray for her anyways, because she's always just uh, has this ongoing suffering in different ways in her life. And um, she she endures and she offers it up and, and all of that. So pray that she can continue to do so joyfully. Amen. It's awkward asking for prayers on a time lag, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the so hope awkward. is that they will so they will have been answered in some way <laughs> yes. by the time you yes. people are hearing them. But um so I guess that's This is coming out in about 2 weeks, I think, if that okay. gives you any context, Father Joel. Well, um the two things that uh, that um my attention and prayers are largely focused on right now is I had to send my wife Pani Leslie back to Colorado to um to take care of my daughter as she's expecting the birth of their of her fourth son. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's that um, the, the the need when you're when you're a mother of four, um, you really need help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's that that exhaustion and that work, but also the the anxiety of a birth, the the but also the joy of it. Um, on the other end, my mother is, is in the hospitals. Um, well, she's in a rehab center now, um, uh, and she's um, she's recovering from COVID. She'd been vaccinated, so the COVID wasn't very severe. But it's one more in a series of illnesses that she's had um, over um, the last year or so. So it's it's really a slow. Uh, recovery. So I find myself stretched at both ends, you know, um, trying to in company company with my my prayers and my um, empathy, um, my elderly mother on the one hand, and my daughter and my um, and my new grandson, um, 
Meanwhile, I'm having to cook by myself, you know. So, <laughs> anyway, so I would just—you um, can pray for the for my problem if you want, or my people if you want. But I'm sure that that uh, listeners will be able to identify um, needs on both ends of the spectrum of life that they can pray for. So, Father um, Joel, you're you're gonna you're gonna get a shipment of hamburger helper from from our listeners. <laughs> 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 no hamburger helper. It's the Phillips fast starting. I was just saying right. it's going to come in the midst of the fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, All right. Tuna helper, uh, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shrimp helper. Uh, okay. Um, uh, Father Joel, will you please give our listeners and us a blessing as we go out? Okay. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we entrust to your hands these thoughts that we have expressed. And we ask that you would drive the good ones deep into the hearts, first of ourselves and secondly of our listeners, that what is good may be retained and bring forth good fruit for your kingdom and that what is bad may be forgotten. And we ask this and ask a blessing on this work and on our listeners. Lord, bless them and keep them through your grace and loving kindness, for you are a good and loving God. And we owe you all worship and adoration and love together with your eternal Father and your all holy, good, and life-creating spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. Amen. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you through his grace and loving kindness, always, now and ever and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Joel. So good to have you back. It's good to be back. Thank you. Yeah, it's great having you on. We'll, we'll see you soon. Bye, y'all.